Welcome back to another episode of Marvel News Desk, your best place to keep up with all the latest news, reviews, and speculation concerning Marvel films and TV shows. We've got our usual panel today of Adam and Rhiannon. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Amazing. Great. Splendid. Dude, we aren't pretending to be perky today. Um, I usually have something witty to say at this point, but I don't. So yeah, I guess we're all doing really awesome. Uh, we want to encourage you to subscribe to us on YouTube, uh, watch.marvelnewsdesk.com. Also, uh, check out the second podcast in the Marvel News Desk family, AP Marvel, uh, and see what those guys are doing uh, this week. Um, before we go any further, just a couple of quick things. We are uh, recording what will be our last episode of the year, so this will hit on December 16th, and then we will take a few weeks off to be with our families and to just not do this grind of a podcast. We love doing podcasts, but it's good for us to take a break every year, so we're excited about that. Uh, there is still ways to get content from Marvel News Desk, though. I think there'll be some videos that will hit uh, onto the YouTube channel. Uh, I sent off audio of a review for Runaways, so hopefully that'll be hitting somewhat soon. I also have some other projects up my sleeve. Uh, but if you really, really want to have another podcast between now and when we return in January, definitely go over and become a subscriber on Patreon for a lone single dollar. You can be a patron and you will get the special uh, holiday ep ish uh, ish issue episode that we do every year. Uh, we're not sure what that's going to be yet, but we'll record one of those over the holiday break that can tide you over and it's merely a buck. So go ahead and do that. Uh, I don't know. We might also push another thing or two to Patreon. If we get a Spider-Man trailer, maybe we'll do a little uh, online conversation real quick and throw that to Patreon. Who knows? Uh, but definitely, if you're wanting more content, make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube and uh, do the Patreon deal, and you'll uh, definitely hit everything that we've been doing. First bit of news, Scott Derrickson is officially back to direct Doctor Strange 2, and this is kind of filling out the release calendar. We'll get to the release calendar in a minute. First of all, do either of you have strong feelings on Derrickson being back for the second run of Doctor Strange? I guess I always had just assumed that would be the... <clears throat> Excuse me, I, I always assumed that would be the case. Yeah, that's about all I had. I had some other things about the uh, that little THR report or whatever, but I'm not sure if you wanted to split out or just immediately talk about Derrickson. The Derrickson part, it's just nice that it's finally confirmed. I think we had enough information that we knew it was happening. I don't remember. You know, I seem to remember something right after Doctor Strange 1 came out. I, I don't know. I feel like we've had enough hints that he was coming back, so it's nice to have this confirmed and to know it's actually moving forward. Yeah. I do kind of wonder how they decide these things. We saw hints that maybe Derrickson was going to sign this like six months ago or a year ago. And I wouldn't think that they've just now decided they're going to make a Doctor Strange movie. Like maybe they're waiting to see how people felt about him in Infinity War. But like it, it does seem odd timing why Marvel would, you know, make Derrickson wait whatever it's been three years since his, the last movie came out to finally sign him. But it seems like they don't, they don't want to sign him until they're ready to get moving on the next one. And they knew they weren't going to move for a while on it. It just, it seems odd to me how they decide when to do these things. You know, I, I would get nervous and lock them up ahead of time, but I'm guessing they probably communicate with them. Like Scott, make sure you keep your calendar clear at this, you know, this kind of time frame because they knew it was going to happen. Adam, what else did you want to talk about from that THR article? It has no, uh, it has no writer, and I thought that was uh, peculiar. At least you typically see 
that they named the writer with the announcement of the movie or shortly thereafter. You know, it's not, it's rarely, I, at least I can't think of an idea where they announced the director before they had announced the writer. So I just thought that was strange that they specifically mentioned in the report that there was no writer. So I'm not sure. I would guess Derrickson has a hand in writing too. So I'm not sure if Cargill's coming back or not. I know we had previously talked about him kind of releasing too much information of sorts. He was kind of uh, loose-lipped there for uh, on Twitter for a while, so I'm not sure if that means he, he's done with Marvel or if, you know, he's still in talks and they just have to finalize whatever or what. But I just thought that was peculiar. Yeah, particularly because it seemed like uh, Cargill and Derrickson had a very firm vision of what they wanted to do, particularly with Nightmare. And so... The idea that they they didn't just announce that that same writing team was coming back, just guessing what's going on. Maybe Marvel isn't totally sure they want to go down that nightmare direction, and there's, you know, some other things that they'd like to consider, and they'd like to get pitches from some other screenplays, and they know that they trust Derrickson visually, but they're not sure if they want to go the same story direction as he wanted to go. Uh, it seems like that's a possibility here. Right. Now, part of what this does in combination with some other news that we've had lately, uh, this also, this THR report suggested that this movie is aimed for the May 2021 date, which is a big deal for the franchise. It shows that Doctor Strange really has grown. It was in that kind of November Thor slot that they used to kind of uh, experiment with some new things or kind of the the less promoted spot in the schedule. The fact it's moving up to May seems to show their confidence in the character and how he's been received by fans. Uh, it also fills out our schedule so that phase four has taken shape. Uh, July of next year, 2019, we'll have Spider-Man Far From Home. Then May 2020 is supposed to be Black Widow, we think. November 2020 is most likely Eternals. February 2021 would be Black Panther 2. May 2021 would be Doctor Strange 2. Uh, we still have that November 2021 date that is uncertain. Uh, February 2022 would probably be Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. Then Guardians of the Galaxy 3 in the May 2022 date and a July 2022 date is still there. By the way, when we get to the year 2022, that's a really... It sounds weird coming off the tongue. I just said it like four times and it bothers me. Anyway, um, that, I mean, that's almost all the movies uh, that are shaping up. How does that feel as a phase? Like, is there something that feels like it's missing? Are you kind of excited by that slate? Um, how's it feel now that we kind of filled in a lot of those gaps? It's so weird not to have Avengers or Captain America or Iron Man's in that. I mean... You know, we know we're moving into a new world, but there's a lot of familiar faces not on that slate. It's a lot of unknowns for me. Right, and only, what, two of the five are fresh franchises? Or two of the six, however many there are? Eternals, Shang-Chi. Right, Eternals and Shang-Chi. Everything else would be a sequel or a derivative, I guess, like Black Widow. Yeah, Black Widow just so seems so weird in that mix. So weird. And I mean, the the last 2021 date could be an Avengers movie, right? Or is that too soon? Um, it would be interesting. We've never seen them do anything but May for the Avengers. So 
it seems like July might be unusual, but I don't know. Yeah, are we a hundred percent sure that the Black Widow movie is a movie and not possibly a Disney Plus TV show? Uh, I, I, we have no indication that it's anything but a movie. I mean, they've talked about it as a theatrical release. Uh, we got news this week that they're talking to actresses to star in it as a film, and so okay, uh, yeah, we're if it's if Black Widow is not the May twenty. 21 or the may 2020 movie we might not get a may 2020 movie it's the only thing that's far enough along to even possibly fill that slot at this point and this is what's so bizarre i mean the 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 fox disney deal is going to close i mean worst case scenario what are we saying april maybe may maybe um so i mean we are still a full three years away from getting something Right, I mean, as it stands now, it would be three years before we get something. But I mean, that Guardians Three is not guaranteed. You know, I mean, I'm almost kind of in the boat that I would almost be surprised if there's still a Guardians Three movie. Um, I guess Guardians in the sense of the previous two movies. So maybe something like that would get bumped, um, or they they start on Disney Plus with something and go elsewhere. I guess. But that, that's what's so crazy to think about. We've been chopping at the bit to get this deal done the entire time we've talked about the MCU. And then it's going to be done. And just because of scheduling, uh, it seems like it's still going to be a few more years. You know, But, I mean, that could all change too, I guess. You know, they could go back to four show or four movies or whatever we were talking about. I think, what, next year is only – or 2020 is only two movies. Maybe they'll go back and add a third date or they'll bump years after 2020 to four movies or what have you. And I mean, I think what we've talked about before is that Fox has dates. Like, you know, Fox has some dates on the calendars that could turn into Fantastic Four movies, X-Men movies, or, you know, small properties that we're not even thinking about that Fox has rights to. I mean, it's it's going to get to the point where Disney's almost going to compete with themselves. You know, it's like, oh man, we have two movies out this week, and what the what the heck's going on? Almost like you know, as if there was a division that made television shows and a division that made movies, and that they kind of like had to fight over properties and compete with each other. Yeah, or like like when they dropped all the uh, Doctor Strange promotional material the week of luke cage and like stole luke cage's thunder i mean you know like we had that kind of stuff before exactly like they're already stepping on each other's toes it's just gonna be more of that maybe except star wars versus marvel versus pixar versus fox versus fox spotlight versus i mean i don't intend spotlight to compete directly with marvel studios of course those are the award-winning movies, right? Right, right. Caleb, do we have anything about award-winning movies to talk about today? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Um, I, the thing that it does strike me, you know, Adam, you're talking about like X-Men and Fantastic Four and the Fox stuff. It does seem that Marvel has a, a time frame they're comfortable with this stuff of like when they like to get certain ducks in a row. And the fact that a movie that they're planning on bringing out in May of 2021, which is two and a half years from now, 
they feel the need to put the director in place two and a half years out. That suggests to me that we're not going to see X-Men movies flying on to screens as quickly as we would hope they might, even if they wanted to. You know, like, that would suggest the lead time is such that it's going to be three years from whenever this deal gets done before they'd put any of these movies out because that's how long it'll take them. You know, it'll take them six months to get a screenwriter and a director and then that two and a half year process to get it produced, you know? Right. Speaking of this Fox Disney deal, did we talk about the Dark Phoenix Kevin Feige stuff or had you planned on talking about that? Because I want to talk about that, how bizarre it is. <laughs> I've got that in the rundown too. So we'll, we'll, gotcha. All right. we'll definitely get there. Um, the other thing I was going to say a little bit earlier when my audio is coming in and out, I do feel like there is a balance here. I mean, Black Widow, Eternals, and Shang-Chi are all new properties. And so we're getting more new stuff than I even thought we would. What's really suspicious to me on this is um, we have two slots left and we have a, we would assume a Captain Marvel 2 and Ant-Man 3 and an Avengers 5 that would all be movies they might make. And so at least with the dates that we have, we're starting to run out of space. And so it, it almost feels like musical chairs. Like I am feeling more and more like Ant-Man 3 might not happen given just how much space and time they've got to make these things. And that for our listeners that haven't drawn the dots, that's sort of playing on, a, I think, a conversation on Twitter this week, right? Where somebody was speculating that Ant-Man might be the sneaker death and... Um, Endgame. Really? I didn't even see that. I have not got used to Endgame. I keep trying to call it Avengers <laughs> yeah, that's what 4. I was... uh, like, Endgame is not coming out right. You can, you can edit Wait, out that long think... silence where I tried to remember what I was talking about. You weren't, you didn't see that, Adam? I think it was our buddy Charles Murphy talking about, you know, he's not seeing many people speculate that Ant-Man could die. You think Scott's going to be the one to die? I don't know about that. Um, his, the the theory that he was bouncing around is that Scott dies, and Cassie sets up for Young Avengers. So they're gonna, she's gonna. I mean, they just introduced the quantum realm. They're gonna have Cassie kind of go over that stuff, or they're just gonna kind of throw that stuff by the wayside. Oh, I don't know. I I I don't remember. It, it it's a lot of speculative talk that nobody really knows. So. I mean, if it's if it's Scott dying in place of Cap or Iron Man, I don't see it. Who knows? I'm not a scooper. Uh, we did not get a Spider-Man Far From Home trail last Saturday, as we were being told we would. The folks in Brazil did, but the rest of us did not. Um, so that's a little disappointing. We did get a peek at the black stealth suit, stealth suit that Spider-Man will get in that movie, and a little bit of a trailer description. Um, I'm going to talk about the trailer description just a little bit here. If you're, you know, wanting to avoid that until you see the trailer, use the timestamps. Uh, it appears that Mysterio is going to come in as an ally of Nick Fury. Like Mysterio is going to be on the good guy's side, at least appear so early on. Um, is any of the Spider-Man stuff piquing your guys' interest? There's also a little talk about the elementals, like maybe Molten Man and Hydra Man actually are going to be in this movie. Um, is any of this moving the needle for you as far as your interest in, in Far From Home? So the elementals are 
um, what do you want to call them? Illusions created by Mysterio to make him look like the hero. And then somehow one of them gets out of control or such, or he gets too super power hungry and um, makes something that Spider-Man and Fury have to team up to take down. That's the plot. I just spoiled the whole plot for you guys. I'm sorry. Way to go, Adam. Now I don't... I don't know. I mean, that's that. I guess that's kind of the just, especially when I heard... Um, uh, what do I want to say? When I heard that Mysterio was going to be a hero at first. Um, and there is a clear difference between Marvel Studios marketing and Sony Far From Home marketing. Can we say that? I mean, it's just bizarre how much stuff about Far From Home is already out. Um, I do love their viral marketing, though. The whole Instagram video, like that Jake Gyllenhaal pretending to shoot his spider webs. I'm not sure if you two saw that, but that's that's humorous. Yes. I totally saw that, and I was going to bring that up too. I'm like, if Sony marketing gives us that edge that... I know you've been following the Jason Momoa videos and stuff, you know. If, if the Sony marketing gives us those fun little behind-the-scenes clips and just Jake Gyllenhaal being silly, I'm all in. Well, that brings up another thing. I mean, Gyllenhaal is surely not a, a one-and-done type guy, is he? Well, not if they're going to try to build to a Sinister Six, which we kind of think they're going to. Right, and I saw so- Keaton Zinn, Far From Home, is he confirmed? Because I saw him on a list somewhere that he's reprising his role, and I guess I totally didn't know that he was confirmed. Unless you just leaked secret information that you're not supposed to share. It was not, because the list I saw was, I think, on Wikipedia. <laughs> well, then that's legit. But, uh, no, but it's been, a, it's, been, it's been consistent. It's consistently on there. Yeah, so. there's been rumors about it I guess all I could pull the up the source. Yeah, I don't think it's a spoiler for anybody that Mysterio will be the villain in the movie. You know, like, if if that twist was not something you saw coming, then you haven't been paying too much attention. <laughs> but wasn't the confirmation from Brazil also that he has the fishbowl? Yes. Okay. Oh, I didn't see that part. Watch. Yeah. One of you two, I can't remember who said that that Dr. Pepper theory thing could have all been a red herring. I can't remember which one of you two it said me. it. But you tried debating against... Yeah, Rianne, you tried debating against the fishbowl. I just tried to put all options on the table so that everybody knew that, you know, maybe it could have been something else. Marvel News, that's the all-inclusive podcast. I mean, we're going to hit everything from all angles. Hard-hitting reporting. We're we're nothing if not thorough, right? (laughs) We're going to read the Wikipedia page and whatever (laughs) deadline puts out. And I, for one, trust the Brazilian fangirls. We got news today that Punisher Season 2 is going to hit in January. And it seems like the whole internet re- responded with a big thud. Uh, <laughs> these shows are really right? <laughs> pretty much away at this point. Man, yeah. Netflix has bit off their nose despite their face. People are not reacting well to this. Like... I was hoping it might lead to like a, hey, let's cherish this while we have it. Nope. The internet's far too negative a place for that. Everybody's just crapping on Punisher now. I mean, right. by January, my Netflix subscription will be will be done. I, I'll have to like bootleg Punisher, which I would never do. I'll have to uh, go spend a couple days in my friend's house that has Netflix. Anyways, um, 
Yeah, has anybody checked to see if they just dropped it and didn't tell us? Hmm. I don't know. My TV's all the way over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was... I almost forgot that this was a show. I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, you you posted the link in our, our news slack. And I'm like, oh... I totally forgot that we were still waiting for a release date. But, you know, like, after this news came out, I went to a meeting at work, and one of my friends was like, Dude, they just announced that they're doing a Punisher Season 2! And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's been coming. Like, I like how uh, John Bernthal released, like, a teaser image, except they didn't provide him with, like, a high-quality still, so it almost looks like he took a picture of, like, some screener episode from his laptop. And it's like very blurry, and I'm like, eh, that's that's how much they care. Well, I was gonna say that Rhiannon doesn't need a subscription if we get screener access, but then when she started making comments about bootleg copies, I'm guessing our screener access is going away. <laughs> Aww, you can edit that out. No, it's okay. I'm just kidding. I think it's funnier to keep it in. It's not like they listen to this anyway. I mean, <laughs> if my comments, if my comments about bootleg copies get a, lose us our screener access but my little drop netflix campaign i've started on twitter doesn't that's true yeah i just imagine them sitting in like some boardroom that's overfilled with spilling papers and plans and on the huge tvs they have the list of everyone with the start or rescue campaigns uh-huh. they said all right these these are the people on our blacklist <laughs> yeah you, you can you can break affiliation with me for a couple of weeks if y'all want those screeners well, I got a uh, seasoned assist today. I forgot to message you guys that. I should probably go open that up. I wonder what that is. It did have the Netflix logo on it. Now she too say it. I'll go back to being shot at Patron. <laughs> the other really interesting uh, Netflix news we got uh, as to the shows that have been canceled is that apparently Netflix put a uh, provisio, I can't say that word, proviso, a provision in the contract that uh, it would be two years from the ending of any of these shows before Marvel could put them in anything else as far as film or TV. And so Daredevil, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist are all going to be on ice until the fall of 2020. Um. I think this was surprising news for most everybody. I assume for you guys too. Uh, how do you feel about this kind of step down period that they have for these characters? Why is this surprising news? This sounds like a very standard thing. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't make it longer. And I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, Marvel's history of losing properties that they made it this short but, I mean, seriously, we waited, what, two and a half years, three years since the last season of Daredevil for this season of Daredevil. To me, like, if they could turn around and use these same characters and all it is is a two-year wait, bring it on, guys. Like, wh- that's nothing. This two years is nothing. They could start writing Daredevil season four in a year and have, I mean, in six months, and eight months, they could have it in the can for six months and then just throw it out. I mean, I... I expected that there was something like this in the contract, and it doesn't... It actually gives me a little bit of hope that it's so short. Right. I think, I mean, this news makes Netflix look like good guy Netflix, almost. Right? Because they canceled the shows right after they aired. I mean, Netflix could have canceled them 
16 months from now or something. Or they could have held on to them. That's, I mean, I was just discussing with um, a friend of mine earlier this week that Jessica Jones, if I was Netflix, Jessica Jones is filmed, get it edited, hold on to it, release it in like November of 2019. You know, unless there's, I'm sure there's also something in their contracts that's, you know, that says it has to go within a certain amount of time, maybe. But what's to keep them from just holding on to it until November 2019 so that ABC can't turn around and have a Jessica Jones series in their fall 2021 plans? They would have to push it all the way to, you know, 2022 for network television or something. Um. So I, that's why I, I thought it was odd that Punisher's coming so soon. It seems like they're going the opposite direction of let's just get these out of our hands. Um, if I was Netflix, I'd probably be a jerk and hold on to them a long time. But then, I mean, also, you could keep advertising more seasons of Marvel coming to Netflix because you still have a couple in the can to hold on to. Yeah, they also, though, they're in a toxic place where every time Marvel and Netflix comes up, an entire horde of people on Twitter like yourself start like sending negative messages and retweets at them. <laughs> so it may be that they just want to wash their hands of all this thing and just be done with it. You know, I've tried to really limit my negative tweeting. I mean, what you're seeing is maybe like a fifth of what I've wanted to put out there. Yeah. <laughs> well, Adam, the good thing for you is the time frame is perfect. Uh, Shang-Chi can totally include iron fist. Like you hope. Right. Right, absolutely. You know, uh, Marvel, if, if you need any help uh, coming up with, like, uh, that plot storyline, hit me up. I'd even be willing to do a pro bono. Um, you know, I mean, I didn't even I didn't even start the Save Iron Fist campaign after it was canceled, um, which is very telling because I've acted pretty reasonable in the wake of Iron Fist's cancellation. I mean, not to toot my own horn or anything, but maybe I'm just not grieving right. Maybe it's going to hit me like a bag of bricks in months. I mean, Daredevil is a much more likely renewal than Iron Fist is. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I, I mean, I saw the writing on the wall. I mean, I was thankful that it actually got a second season, so. I mean, speaking of which, so did Jessica Hanuk. Um, She was at a con a week or two ago and like they were talking to her and she was like yeah when we showed up for the press room and it was like fold out chairs in an old church lobby or something compared to season one when they rented out like Chelsea Piers I knew we weren't getting a third season what are they gonna do with all these like con appearances like are they still gonna go to what was that are you being attacked I don't know what the hell that was <laughs> I promise you guys, um, if we're ever recording and there's somebody coming up behind you with, like, yeah. a, a knife, I'll, I'll yeah. warn you. The good news is we'll at least be able to catch the, the criminal because we'll have video evidence of it. <laughs> this video will blow up, man. Talk about a way to make us go viral if one of us got murdered in the middle of recording. Right. Jeff Loeb just sneaks right behind my shoulder here and beats me on the head <laughs> with a crowbar. I totally forgot what I was saying. Oh, uh, they're still going to do conventions and stuff, right? Because it's like old Star Trek people show up to cons all the time. Yeah. 
right? Because I'm pretty sure some of the Netflix people have already been announced for Chicago. Yeah, and they both have got um, Game of Thrones background too, right? So they can show up and talk about several different nerd things they were in. And I mean, Charlie Cox is supposed to go to Ace Comic Con and Phoenix Charlie and Kristen Rudder and David Tennant are going to Ace Comic Con and Phoenix in January. And I've been watching that really closely because Phoenix in January sounds like a good place to be. Um, no signs of any cancellations there. All right. Uh, we'll keep on going and we'll bring up something that Rhiannon did mention earlier. Black Panther continues the nomination sweeps. Uh, Screen Actors Guild nominated them today for Best Ensemble in a Film. Uh, as I think we, I don't know if we talked about it on the show, somewhat oddly, none of the individual actors were nominated, even though they're one of the five best ensembles, which if I was going to create a conspiracy theory or get people on, angry on the internet, it does seem interesting that this movie and Crazy Rich Asians, the two movies with minority cast got ensemble credit, but not individual credit, you know, I mean, connect the dots. Um, but also... Uh, the stunt crews got nominated for all three Marvel movies, Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, Black Panther, and Avengers Infinity War. And Daredevil got nominated on the TV side for their stunt ensemble. So congratulations to Chris Brewster. Um, also, the Critics' Choice nominations came in. I'm not sure how prestigious the Critics' Choice Awards really are, but they're better than the People's Choice, that's for sure. <coughs> but um, Black Panther was, I think, the leading movie with the most nominations for that award so anyways the stuff keeps streaming in and it's good news and i think it's kind of exciting particularly for marvel screen actors guild has only nominated their stunt people i think three times ever in the history of the mcu and then there's three just this year so it seems as if the marvel award train just keeps getting some more steam into it you know that's awesome yeah. Who who in Black Panther, what single individual cast member do you think deserves an Oscar? <laughs> oh, boy. Why are you laughing? Because I know what's going to happen. Doing... You're setting this up perfectly. I'm going to say Michael B. Jordan, and you're going to go, oh. <laughs> right. He's not. If there's anyone in that movie, it's not him that deserves best actor. Uh, supporting actor. Okay, supporting actor. It's not him. I'm just saying, who's uh, you? I mean, not even Chadwick. You don't, you don't think? I mean, what? I don't, I don't know. Someone needs to give me the lowdown on why he's so good. Yeah, I think I would rather see Lapita Nyong'o or um, Denai Guerrera nominated for Best Supporting Actress instead of Amy Adams in whatever crappy little indie movie she's in that she got nominated for just because she's the second coming of Meryl Streep and they nominate her for everything. Like, and I don't think she is the second coming of Meryl Streep. I just think that for some reason gets her lots of nominations that she doesn't necessarily deserve. Like I'd rather see either of those black Panther actresses get, um, nominated ahead of like, you know, you know, her, you know, I just, I feel like, the the women in Black Panther deserve a little more credit. I mean, for that matter, how good was um, Letitia Wright? You know, like it just would be nice for someone else to get it. That's all. I mean, doesn't it feel a little weird to say, "Hey, listen, the actors in this movie as a whole were one of the five best casts all year long," and then you go, "Oh, that's awesome. Who in it was really excellent?" And they go, "Oh, no one." Like that just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it would make sense to me for some of them to have supporting actor noms, 
I think what it says, I mean, I love a good, I think that's what makes Marvel strong is that it, even when it's a movie about one character, one movie, a movie about Black Panther, you're getting the feature, you know, it's way more than just Chadwick Boseman's performance. Um, I mean, maybe when you get over to the television side, like it is much more about Kristen Rudder's or Charlie Cox's performances, but in the movies, they very much do a job of everybody being involved and it being much more about the whole than the sum of the parts. And I think that's part of what makes Marvel so special. So not having a best actor or best actress nom doesn't bother me. And some of them might have a strong, strong pull for supporting. But I think it's a really good area that really fits the strength of these movies. Um, you know, maybe it is that that no one person stands out when you compare them to all of the other movies out there. But once you put it all together, it's really cool. Also, I just realized I'm probably going to get death threats over my MBJ <laughs> comments. It just dawned on me what I just really said. I Uh-oh. mean, my thing is I hate a lot of these award shows anyways because I just find Hollywood just to be so grossly narcissistic. And so, like with these Screen Actor Guild Awards too, like so often... They nominate people who do like the awardsy stuff. So it's like, oh, Christian Bale put on so much weight for for uh, Vice. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, it's such a great performance because he worked so hard. He sat on his butt and ate Toritos for six months and then got as fat as Dick Cheney. And oh, my, that's so hard. You know, like, you know, or. Oh, Charlize Theron put on <laughs> ugly person makeup. How could you live as an ugly person for three whole months of shooting? My, my, we must give her an award. Right. You know, like, I don't know. They've got their heads so far up their own butts that, like, Chadwick Boseman just being a noble leader of an African nation, that's not nearly sexy enough. He needs to be starving or he needs to have, like, a deadly disease or he needs to, like, have gained or lost 20 pounds. You know, like... Heaven forbid we give someone an award for actually doing an understated performance instead of acting like a diva all throughout their movie. So instead of T'Challa being Black Panther, you're saying he needs to be Fat Panther? <laughs> yes. That's right. Is that what you're If they you're want saying? awards, Black Panther 2 needs to be Black Panther the Fat Panther. That's exactly what needs Fat to Panther. happen. Gotcha. That'll be when we catch up with Daredevil in two years. And he hasn't been doing anything. Like, he and Foggy have just been sitting there eating meats. And then something comes up and he has to be Daredevil again. He'll be fat. Anyways. Uh, I mean, you know. I'm... Do you think if you're Charlie Cox, you're totally eating donuts now? Like, now that you know you're off the hook and you don't have to be Daredevil shape for a while, you just, like, let yourself go? Totally, legitimately, I was talking with my friend Shelby about going to Phoenix, if we're going to go to the, the Comic-Con in Phoenix in January, and we were like, what if we just reach out to Charlie and, like, do you want breakfast? We can go have breakfast and we can eat all the carbs. How does that sound? <laughs> um, You said Ant-Man and the Wasp got a Screen Actors nom? For stunt, for stunt isn't that uh, that's Brewski, right? Yeah, he was the stunt. very nice. Oh, that's Brewski as well. He was the yeah, fight coordinator for Ant Man and the Wasp. 
Also, just as an aside, Screen Actors Guild is ahead of the curve. Oscars, you really need to create a stunt category because stunt people continue to be the most important part of the filmmaking process that don't get an Oscar for their work, and it's kind of ridiculous that it hasn't happened yet. So, All right, the other piece of news Adam mentioned, uh, Simon Kinberg is desperately trying to make us feel like X-Men Dark Phoenix isn't a lame duck movie, but it's totally a lame duck movie. Did you have more thoughts on that, Adam? So, you're talking about the Kevin Feige stuff, right? Is yeah, yeah, go ahead. So that's what I don't get. Oh, right? that stuff. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. People say that Fox and Disney can't have anything to do with each other to jeopardize the deal. And then news comes out. I think Kinberg, what? Kinberg himself said that Kevin Feige read the script to Dark Phoenix. I mean, I don't know. That just seems like... Uh, it seems like it's too close to be in some sort of conflict. They say that Feige has read the script for every Marvel movie that anyone has made over the last 20 years. Really? Yeah. So like he read Venom's script and uh, apparently the famous one, Amazing Spider-Man 2, he read the script and he gave him a ton of really helpful notes and then Sony just binned them all in the trash because they're idiots. Mm, that must have been the sandwich situation. <laughs> He says, enough of your notes here. Have my meatball sandwich. <laughs> okay. Oh, I guess I didn't get that part. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the excuse for why this is okay, is it's just typically what they do, you know, with this stuff. But it is weird. What's weirder is Simon Kimberg talking about how this is the beginning of a new chapter for the X-Men franchise. Like, surely Simon Kimberg knows that Fox has been sold, right? It's not possible that he's been so like knee deep in, in reshoots that he doesn't realize what's about to happen. They can't be under the illusion that this universe is going any farther than this movie. Can they? I think Simon is kind of in the mindset. If he says it's continuing enough times, he's actually going to believe he still has a job at Disney. I think that's kind of the situation we find ourselves in. I mean, and I think that's kind of like, yeah, I mean, it works for a lot of things. You just put it out in the press that it's already a thing and it becomes a thing. So just say it enough times and it becomes true, right? Right. It's like Beetlejuice. Yeah, exactly. Say Simon Kenberg three times and and he'll appear to write you and direct an X-Men movie free of charge. All right. uh, That's all I've got for the news. Do you guys have anything else? It's probably going to be crazy. The uh, There's a lot that that's come out. I mean, we still haven't got far from home. We got to get some Disney Plus news soon, right? We're probably going to get all the news these next three weeks when we're not podcasting. Probably. Two weeks, however long. Yeah. Except for Hollywood takes a, like two weeks off for Christmas, right? I mean, Disney can do whatever they want. I mean, it's Holly- since when did they follow rules? It's They take two weeks off for the holidays, Caleb. Now, that is true. There are some other holidays. The whole holidays push is a little less important when Hanukkah's over, right? Like, Hanukkah is no longer a holiday that is upcoming. We still have Kwanzaa. That is true. Next Friday, guys. That, fair enough. Or those people who, you know, kill goats on the you know winter solstice or whatever. I'm sure they have their strange pagan ceremonies still What's coming What's wrong with well. doing a pagan ritual? I mean, I have nothing else planned tonight. I'm really excited about the sun coming back, Caleb. Really excited <laughs> about true. the sun coming back. 
Yeah. I was out <laughs> shoveling. Yeah. I was shoveling at 3 p.m. today and the sun was setting. I'm like, you know, I'm not about this life. Ugh. That's terrible. Um, I will say on the Disney streaming thing, Adam, I don't know if you saw today, The Mandalorian got their full cast announcement right. today. And I remember just feeling like, you know, whatever Marvel's doing, they're behind Star Wars. Like, The Mandalorian has been further along in production all along, you know, than any right, of Right, but Marvel it was stuff. the very first property they announced and even then it's been filming for what two months three months before they even announced the cast yeah it just i was hoping that when they launched disney plus they would like do with a bang and there'd be like a marvel show and a star wars show and something else available and now i'm starting to wonder if this like if it's going to be two or three months into disney plus before there's a marvel show available well they said one of the trades did say, well, when they announced the name of Vision and Scarlet Witch, they said that was dropping on Disney Plus in 2019. Oh, okay. Well, that'd be awesome. I mean, at least with Vision. I mean, that's mostly practical anyways. So, Or they could be wrong, too. All right, let's talk about uh, Runaways a little bit. Uh, Runaways Season 2 is coming very soon, December 21st. It hits uh, your small screens. We have been thankful to get screeners ahead of time from Hulu on this. Uh, I've watched eight or nine of them. I think you guys have watched a little bit less than eight or nine of them. But uh, we want to go ahead and uh, talk about it a little bit. This will be the only chance we can talk about it at the end. Uh, again, at the end, uh, at the beginning of next year. But we thought that we would do the review since we can. Like I said, there should be a YouTube review coming up soon if it's not already been put out. Uh, first things first, Adam, I saw you wrote up something about this. Uh, there's going to be some kind of after show that's going to be provided. Uh, thanks, first of all, for reading the news, all right? I appreciate that. I encourage you to keep doing that. Uh, it's kind of, sort of, an after show. It's an after show in the sense that they have nine podcast episodes in the hopper, and they're all dropping them once the uh, Hulu releases season two. So it's cool. I mean, it's new content. Uh, Marvel does a very good job, a very good job with their digital media platforms, um, and I do a terrible job of actually keeping up with them. Because I mean, if you go to you know their website or uh, YouTube channel, they have all sorts of content on the daily basis. Uh, Ryan and Lorraine and the crew. Um, but yeah, so it's I mean I saw Brian K. Vaughn's on one of the episodes. Uh, Virginia Gardner's on there. James Marsters is on there. Um, Brittany Ishi- Ishibashi is on there. Um, and then Mama Gert, whatever Mama Gert's name is. Mama York's, I should say, not Mama Gert. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's more content, you know. I mean, it, I would love to see them do this for everything. It's just kind of difficult with uh, the binge-type schedule. You know, they have to release all nine podcast episodes. And I'm not sure. They didn't say if it's going to be kind of like a, you know, every two episodes type thing so it's not it'd be confusing to me at least if i'm trying to listen to this you know podcast episode one after the first two episodes so on and so forth um but go check it out um i would love to see for everything else like if there's a shield after show i mean shield would be great for an after show it reminds me a little bit of the uh have you watched any of the stranger things I did, like, yes. Sitting on the couch, yeah. interview, like, post-show thing. Yeah. I thought that was yeah, great on Netflix. That was super cool. And then that's the type of thing. I mean, 
I'm kind of being a butt when it comes to the whole after show name. It's not really an after show in the sense of what Game of Thrones used to have or uh, Talking Dead. Talking Dead. Yeah. Um, but it's additional content, man. I loved it when they did that Stranger Things um, bit. Um, I'm not a huge... I'm, I'm going to say this and don't kill me, guys, but I'm not a huge podcast guy, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> As ironic as that is, but I'll probably end up uh, listening to this anyways. It makes sense. You've never once listened to our show, I don't think. <laughs> oh, I have. I've been listening. I've been listening more and more. I just, uh, what? I've, I've listened to the past few episodes, actually. Oh, okay. So now I'm getting in a uh, uh, schedule of sorts. Maybe I'm just narcissistic because I made myself laugh like a couple weeks ago. But, <laughs> but yeah, I've been listening, man. Come on now. And I have to say, I mean, like that, that whole concept of the having the after show stuff and having all of that, I really, really think so many of these would benefit from the week to week. I am curious as to why Runaways, why they decided to go to the everything at once instead of week to week. Um, so many of these shows, I feel like we're missing out on so much of the fan experience so much of just getting to fully enjoy it by not being able to fuel those week-to-week conversations. Um, I know there's podcasts out there that do it, that that look at the week-to-week format, that, you know, like, there's a couple of podcasts out there with Daredevil that the, everybody on the podcast waits to watch each episode and, you know, and then they record an episode, but you know, it's like three months later and they're still putting out new episodes on it. And like, I've watched the season five times. Like there's very little, I still want, well, I mean, there's always some stuff I want to discuss, but I think we miss so much of the fan experience with everything coming out at once. Even here with us, like being able to talk about, the season you know Caleb's watched a lot of it we've watched less than him you know and where do we get to talk about it how much you know excitement he might be really excited over whatever's going on in episode nine and it's really hard to share in that excitement with the new binge model I think back to Lost I mean Lost was a show that totally took advantage you know like every episode was anticipated and then there was like a whole week of decompressing and fan theories and you know, podcasts yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And you're right. We have kind of lost that. And I think it's, you know, the opening weekend on a huge show is exciting because like you get it all at once and there's kind of like that world for a little while, but uh, people are getting tired of living their lives based around a binging schedule too. And so I, I just, I think part of what took down some of the Netflix shows was the binge model and what it did to the way that they were viewed. And, you know, I think there's some people who are just like periphery fans that gave up on Daredevil because they're like, I can't watch 13 episodes in the first two days and Twitter's going to ruin it for me before two days is over. So I'm just not going to watch it at all because, I, you know, I can't get it done in time before it gets ruined for me. So why even try? And so maybe we do need to go back. Twitter ruins shows for me before they even premiere. That's <laughs> true. Totally. Twitter's the worst, man. It's just the I absolute totally, worst. It's such a drain. I mean, I love it, but I hate it, you know? I mean, it's a good, in, in theory, it's a good platform, 
but in use oh come on did you hear uh do you hear what james gunn is doing uh for the oscars this year i did not he's gonna go watch it at kevin hart's house what What? (laughs) is that something you oh that's okay all right. I was setting I myself that. up for that. I came up with that joke this week. I thought it was kind of funny. That was really good. I got that. I got that. I thought you meant like you saw that on Twitter or something. I'm like, wait, James is back on Twitter? No, no, no you broke my heart. It's what I've seen Sorry. him. I did some creeping the other day. I mean, he's actively on Instagram. Like he's been oh. he's been liking everyone's posts and such because it tells you when people like stuff. So I mean, and it's like a verified. Does Instagram have verified? Yeah, accounts? that's James Gunn's account, but he just doesn't post any pictures. I mean, I don't blame the guy. Like social media cost him his dream job. Yeah. Do you think it says something about Runaways that we started the Runaways review and ten minutes in we're still? Oh yeah, about James Gunn. <laughs> Gunn. Yeah, I've totally. Fr- Wait, Runaways? That's right. this week. So can you remind me what the show is about? Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> so, in, in all seriousness, what do you guys think of what you've seen so far? So, um, we can review the first six episodes, right? You're you're the one that gets the... the yeah, the well, let's go with that. I think the first six. But I will mention that I've only seen the first two. So, let's review... <laughs> I'll review the first two. Um, it's growing on me. Uh, you know, it's growing on me drastically. I am clearly not the demographic they're going for. Um, Maybe I'm getting old. My birthday's coming up and I'm really feeling it in my knees. Maybe I'm just getting grouchy. I I don't know what, what... We get screener episodes, but I think at least with the Runaways, most of the visual effects... Um, and stuff. So, I mean, they, the visual effects are pretty good. I mean, Carolina's, Carolina, Carolina's stuff looks a lot better this year. Um, there's this one set piece, um, with Jonah that looks like it's on a legit Star Wars ship. Um, so that stuff's not bad. The, I'm not sure what rubbed me the wrong way. It just seems like the, the performances aren't there. I mean, I want to chalk it up to that I'm watching screeners, um, but oftentimes with screeners, the only thing that's unfinished is the visual effects and not, you know, replacement of scenes from reshoots or editing or, or something like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It just seems unconvincing. A lot of the cast, I'm not going to single anyone out, but it seems like there's a fair amount of the cast that I guess I don't remember not disliking the acting performances as much last year. Yeah, I'm just having a real hard time getting excited about it. I mean, they've still run away, but I've already... Somehow they've run away, and the parents are still explaining things. And I've watched at least as much as Adam. But by the end of episode two, I've already had at least two situations where I'm like, oh my gosh, the parents are still explaining things. So I think... Did I cut you off? No, no. I mean, I was just going to remind everybody that was my biggest complaint of season one. Is that what I love about Runaways is the kids figuring things out on their own. It, they're they're trying to pull a Wilson Fisk. It, they're trying to make these, you know, at least the parents, non-powered beings. They're trying to make them uh, 
unstoppable force, but it's just not, it's not convincing. I, it's just, I, I'm trying to decide what it is. It's, it seems like there's real, I mean, there, it's a real easy way to stop them. I mean, cause they murder people, right? It doesn't seem like they have the, the business smarts or the, the kingpinness to them to cover all their tracks, right? So far, we only know that. There's one parent who does. You probably, you guys probably aren't to it yet, but there's one parent that um, that could definitely hang out with Kingpin and Mariah Dillard and fit right in. You sure? Cause so far, it's just. I have thoughts. Yeah, I, have I mean, that some right. Of them could, but I don't think. I mean, they've. They're showing ruthlessness in the parents, and they're showing. Um, you know, some intelligence and some... These parents have been killing people for a long time. I think some of them may have plans. Right, but I don't see any of them having the entire FBI in their back pocket. Or a substantial amount of the FBI and the CIA and cops and all that stuff. I mean, we've seen the one cop. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think the biggest problem I have is, and, and this is in my review, I just feel like they don't know what kind of show they want to be. Like, I feel like they start doing one thing, and then it's almost like they're embarrassed by it, and so then they start doing something else. Like, the teen melodrama stuff isn't designed for me, but I think it's the best thing that they do. I think it's what those showrunners know. But none of their scenes ever get a chance to, like, breathe because they're just jumping right back to, oh, hey, superhero stuff. Oh, no, melodrama. Oh, no, back to the superhero stuff. Back to the, you know, like, it just kind of cuts back and forth really quickly. And I don't know. It just seems a little a little stuck in two different places for me. Um, and I think some of it's just being an overstuffed show. It's a show with 25 characters or whatever. And, yeah, it just, there's no space. There's no room. And so it all feels really rushed and kind of half done. I'm sorry, Rihanna. Did I did I cut you off with the lag or whatever? No, I was cutting you off. But but I think that there, like the teen melodrama and stuff, like melodrama kind of needs some time to sit. And that goes back to what I was talking about earlier with the week to week format. Like I think it would do better. You know, you have some. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Well, I've watched two episodes back to back, and I can tell you that I'm not going to binge the whole thing. But then again, I watched two episodes with about two months in between, and I'm not feeling very different. These characters, to me, um, when you binge it, they just feel really fickle, and like none of the storylines feel like they really develop. It's like, hey, we've got a problem, and then 25 minutes later, we solve it, and like... You know, we're going to talk out of both sides of our mouth. I am here. But, like, we talk about the slow burn of the Netflix shows. But the Netflix shows people make rational decisions. Where this is just, like, it's like ADD screenwriting to me. You know, like, it's just moving too quick and cutting back and forth between stuff. And it's just, it didn't work real well for me. And I, I don't, don't make, get me wrong. I enjoy the show. Um I mean, we're not binge watching it, but we've watched one or two a night for the last three or four nights and we enjoy it. And like my wife likes it. I enjoy it. It's not a bad show and they're doing a decent job with the source material. It's just, um, just feels like uh, squandered potential. One of the, one of the things I said in my review is that in my opinion, cloak and dagger is inferior source material 
But Cloak and Dagger season one is better than Runaway season two. And it just seems unfortunate because it seems like they have a better cast. They've got a better storyline. They have a more interesting property, but it just doesn't click. I'm just not feeling things. And, and honestly, you know, Adam, you talked about the performances. I think that the fact that the show's a little schizophrenic about what it wants to be is hurting the rhythm of the actors. Even like, I just feel like some of that poor acting is because these, you know, teen kids are trying to figure out like what they're even in. And the characters aren't allowed to ever get into a groove because they do one storyline for about 30 minutes and then they jump out of that storyline. Uh, and if nothing else, they just put them on ice because then they have to talk about one of the other 20 characters on the show. And so I just, it seems to me that the, the kids are never allowed to kind of get into a, uh, a rhythm of who they are. I think the scenes where all the kids are together are the best, but we get so few of them because they're constantly going off on separate little side missions to jam pack in another narrative. And it just all feels a little cluttered and rushed. If that makes any sense. I do. I do like what's going on with Alex now. Um, yeah. His little stuff that that's kind of with him and Darius and um, Darius's fiance and sister. Um, I, I really like where that's heading. Um, it's kind of my favorite part of it so far. Uh, Molly is such a badass. She's probably my favorite, favorite part of the uh, whole show so far. Um you know, with, with everyone I've had a problem with being, you know, with a convincing cast member, um, Allegra has done a fantastic job. Holy cow, she's great. And I do want to go back, Caleb, because we got a chance to interview these actors. And Vid is a wonderful group. The kids we got to interview, or the quote unquote kids, you know, what a wonderful group of actors. What, you know, just... I really enjoyed meeting them and talking to them and they all seem wonderful. Uh, Adam, when you talked about Allegra, uh, I put in my review, I think she's consistently the best uh, actress in the show. Like she is the one that is most consistent for me this season of just doing a really good job and showing character development and growth. And um, so, yeah, I think, I think she's awesome. And, and, you know, I don't think, I think most of these people are capable. There's one or two of the parents that I'm starting to wonder about their acting abilities, but like generally it's, it's a good group. I just, like I said, I just feel like it feels a little rudderless. I just don't feel like I have an idea of where it's headed and what direction it's going. So this was, so this is the, I'll say this, this is the type of show that I expected cloak and dagger to be on free form. I guess it's still, it surprises me that it's a Hulu show. It just feels like the, uh, it kind of has the the tone of a Arrowverse show on CW. Um, it's got the teenage stuff that tries to be edgy, but it's not quite edgy. Um, yeah, like I said, it's, I'm not the the target demographic. But then again, I thought I I wouldn't like Cloak and Dagger, and it was one of my favorite TV shows of this year. Um, so I don't know. It's I guess it doesn't sit well with me. One of the things I said a lot in my reviews for MCU Exchange last year on season one is the show just never felt dangerous enough for me. You know, like, I never felt like the kids were in the kind of peril they should be in. And this season opens up with that feeling better because they're on the streets and vulnerable because they're on the streets. 
But then pretty quick, and you can tell from the trailers what happens, like they get set up in a new situation and then all of that, like, Hey, where are we going to find food? Oh, how, where are we going to sleep tonight? You know, like, how are we going to protect ourselves from, you know, the, that annoying homeless kid that was stealing their stuff in this first episode, you know, like all of those things that like gave them like a real sense of real world problems melt away really fast. And I just, I, I don't feel like they make these kids feel like they're in real danger nearly enough. Like even when they're with the parents, you should feel that these parents will at one point potentially kill the other kids, you know, like that should make you nervous and it never does. I always feel like, Oh, they're just going to hang out with, you know, parent, whatever. And it'll be fine because those parents would never actually kill one of the other kids. There's just not enough danger to me. So man. And I, I, tr- that's the thing. Everyone says we're too damn pessimistic or we're too damn tough on it. And then then we go and do this stuff. I try to be optimistic. I don't know. It's just not my cup of tea. Let me reiterate. I like it and I'm enjoying it. And I think a lot of fans will like it. I, I'm just disappointed because, you know, if we do like the teen corner of the MCU, my rankings are very clearly Runaway Season 1, Cloak and Dagger Season 1, and this is by far the worst of those three seasons, which is just sad to me because I liked Runaway Season 1 a lot, and I just think that they've gone down in quality, not up. So, All right, guys, it's time to talk about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and we have a special guest to help us do that. Uh, Adam, you want to go ahead and introduce uh, our guest reviewer this week? Sure. Joining us is comicbook.com's Charlie Ridgely. He's the he's kind of Charlie, would you consider yourself a, an expert on animation of sorts? Uh, I know you love Incredibles. Yeah. And- <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't say expert, um, but I like I, I write a lot of animation stuff on the site, just like Disney specifically. I do a lot of the Disney stuff. And um, because of that, sometimes when there's like more uh, younger audience skewing shows that like I'll write about some DuckTales and like then when it comes, you know, Steven Universe and things like that, like I'll, I'll write about some some animated stuff here and there for the for the site. So, um, so I wouldn't say expert, but I I, I do uh, I do deal a lot with it. More than us, and that's all that's required. <laughs> we set an extremely low bar. Hey, I watch a lot of animation, Adam. I don't think you realize the amount. I have four. Charlie, you would know this. I have four children, all eight and under. So okay. I end up watching a ton of that crap. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got my finger on the pulse, man. I know it's popular. True. I've watched an episode yeah, have, of DuckTales. I have no children and I still watch it. So <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. So we're going to talk about into the spider verse. Uh, Adam, you were talking as we we're kind of leading in just about how excited you are about this. And you feel like you're just super excited. I mean, let's just talk about just general impressions. I mean, I don't have any super specific questions, uh, how'd you guys feel about this movie walking out of the theater? Uh, I think thus far it's been pretty unanimously praised. Did you guys enjoy it? Absolutely. I, that's the thing. I My expectations were, were pretty high lean into it. And I, I figured I was setting myself up for disappointment just because, you know, I, everything was so good. Um, and somehow it almost felt like it, the movie still exceeded the super high expectations I had. Um, I'm not sure. That's the type of thing. I'm, I always tend to be easier on movies immediately after I uh, view them. Um, but I mean, this movie, man, 
Holy cow. A very similar place. I had really high expectations, especially after the first uh, like reactions came out and everyone was like, this is the greatest superhero movie ever. It's like, can it really be? But I'm excited. And I went and saw it a couple weeks ago um, at, a, at an early screening and I was just blown away. I mean, like every moment I thought was so perfectly done. And when I, when it was over, I was like, I just want to watch it again immediately. Like, I don't care what I have going on. I want to see it again. And I actually went and saw it again last night uh, for, for the second time. And it, it holds up. It's maybe even better on the second viewing. Like it is a fantastic movie from start to finish. Everything about it works on so many levels. Yeah. So for any listeners that maybe don't know the concept, I mean, I think they've done a great job with the marketing thus far. Uh, we do get kind of a multiverse for the first time, kind of in this fullest expression in, in Marvel film and TV shows. Uh, they even kind of differentiate the animation. So the characters from different universes have um, kind of different animation styles. Uh, we can talk about the animation in a minute because that is a topic deserving of its own kind of discussion. Um, I think that's some of the charm of it is the fact that you do have all these different versions of Spider-Man. Uh, and it felt to me like this movie wouldn't have been possible maybe a decade or two ago, but like we finally had enough comic book stuff that people are ready for this level of like deep end multiverse worlds. Um, how do you think they man, how did they handle that? I mean, did you guys enjoy it? How do you think general audiences will respond to, uh, so many spider people uh, all in one movie and just how quickly they develop that whole kind of plot line. I kind of feel like on the surface, it sounds like such a complicated premise. Um, and it's like, man, like kids are going to go see this. They're going to have no idea what's going on because there's a, it's a spider verse. I mean, those of us who have read the comics are like, this is a really complicated kind of annoying thing. Um, but it's presented so clearly and it's, it's not, they don't overcomplicate it. They don't go into, these different things and, and part of what helped is that we only really see one universe we only really see miles's reality we see the others in the little flashbacks and stuff but we really only get this one continuity and this is where we spend our time so these other people are just from different dimensions and they're just coming here to hang out and it's just so very cut and dry they don't try to o- overdo it it's just like hey i'm from another dimension just like yours but mine's a little different let's move on um and it's really, really easy to follow, which that in and of itself is is an achievement to me. Right. It, that's that's one of the things I was getting worried about leading up to the movie. You know, they had it almost if they put an increased focus on, you know, on Spider-Man Noir and Spider-Ham and Penny Parker in the marketing. And so I'm like, I, I don't know if they have, you know, half a dozen of these characters and they're all sharing screen time. You know, it could get pretty convoluted really quick. Um but, you know, watching it, I mean, they, they each got a few lines, you know, and, and they were clearly supporting characters. So I'm happy they had a uh, much reduced role, much less of a role than I thought they were going to leading into it. And I think they were really smart about the ones they picked because not only are these characters different, but they each have a very distinct like style and universe. So like when they did show us peaks into the other universes, the Spider-Ham stuff is obviously like Looney Tune cartoon. And so you, you immediately recognize, oh, that's different. And then you see Spider-Man Noir and it's all black and white and, you know, 30s era. And so, like, all of those things were so visually easy to pick up on. Even Spider-Gwen's, like, hyper-neon Spider-Gwen world. And I, I just think that was brilliant on their part. 
to pick things that had very clear visual cues so that the other dimensions was an easier concept. Like if they all came from a dimension that essentially looked the same, that might have been more confusing. But um, I think they were very smart with the, the choices. Did you guys ever feel like there were too many characters in this movie? I mean, there's a ton of villains. There's half a dozen villains. There's, you know, six yeah. spider people or whatever. Did it ever Most feel of like Spider-Man's rogues gallery. Uh, I don't think so. Again, yeah. they they didn't really... None of them besides Kingpin really had a substantial... I was surprised how much Prowler was in it. Um, and they made him totally badass. But, oh, yeah. Prowler was amazing. Right. Um, yeah, I, I didn't mind it. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm with you, Adam. I think that uh, there was, it was very clear pecking order of things. And like, really, your main characters were Kingpin, Miles, Peter, and Gwen. And with Peter, Gwen, and Miles, you had these other spider people who were very much a part of it and you cared about them. But they were this, they were just there as, as kind of backup. And they were never really like, you didn't have to dive too deep in the story to understand them because they're such unique characters. It was like, oh, he's a pig and he's hilarious. Cool. That's all you got to know. Um, and all the villains were really just like, we knew them from Spider-Man lore, but they're henchmen to Kingpin, which is very accurate to the comics. It's here's this, here's Kingpin using what he has at his disposal to get things done. And so they just kind of seemed like lackeys than like deep villains. Uh, and, and it really paid off because it, I think it added extra layers of depth to the characters that truly mattered to the story. The only thing that I was, I didn't totally love, um, Oh, is it Penny Parker or May Parker? I always forget the anime um, spider robot. Uh, Penny. Penny. There was kind of a scene where like her robot gets broken near the end and the spider's getting like, you know, she's worried about her spider dying. And I just kind of felt like I don't feel this emotionally because I don't know enough about this character. So that was the one point where I thought maybe one less spider person would have been okay. But generally I agree. Yeah, it was... Um, I think it was balanced pretty well. And they showed that you can have multiple villains. And as long as they're just, you know, henchmen like Tombstone, I don't think Tombstone even spoke in the movie, but you get, I, th- I think gig, he had two you know? lines, the whole yeah. thing. And it's crazy. Cause uh, Crondon voiced him. Right. And it was right. like, you got a real actor to voice him. And then he just had like two lines in the movie. Right. And the leading choice for a live action Tombstone at that. I'm like, Oh, man, oh Yeah. I didn't know ahead of time that Mahershala Ali was going to be the uncle. Uh, mm-hmm. And I thought that was, I mean, again, that's great casting anytime he's in anything. So Excellent. yeah, he did such a good job as Prowler. And honestly, like as my, I loved Prowler in that movie so much. He's probably one of my favorite things about it. Um, the, the twist on the uncle story for a uh, Spider-Man movie was fantastic. Uh, but it makes me want to see Donald Glover do that so much more like he's there he exists like I, I want that so bad Charlie you haven't been on our show but we, we talk frequently about all these Sony spinoffs that nobody asks for like a you know Morbius mm-hmm. movie and we're like how have they mm-hmm. not greenlit the Donald which is Glover really happening by movie? the way <laughs> Morbius is really happening right but like how do you not greenlight a char- or a Donald Glover Prowler movie. Like, if you're going to go to the energy to make because, Silk or Craven, right. make the Prowler movie. We want that. <laughs> because I think Aaron Davis, like, Marvel already has that. And I mean, obviously, like, the, the deal can expire whenever, whatever, whatever. That's all, it's all way too complicated. But, like, when, you know, Marvel, obviously, like, they're, they're not making a Mysterio movie. 
because Marvel's using Mysterio and they've already like agreed to Marvel using that in the MCU. And I think that they have, since Aaron Davis has already appeared there, we're going to like, that's where we're going to see Aaron Davis is in the MCU, not in the Sony Spider-Verse, at least for now. But I would love to, I would love to watch anything with Donald Glover anyway. So whoever greenlights it, I, go, I, I'll give you my money. I mentioned just a minute ago the animation style. Obviously, this is a totally different kind of world and style. We saw this week that Sony's trying to get some copyrights, I think, for some of these processes they've used, so only they can use them. Um, just feel free to share a little bit, like, how did you guys feel about the visual style and kind of what you were seeing with your eyeballs and what they built in this universe? So that last scene, I'm like... This is too bizarre. I mean, I honestly believe Stephen Strange was going to pop out at some time, and he had some sort of hand. And I mean, it's uh, while the closing scene was very strange. Like, I mean, it's it's an anime. At least it's an animation style I've never seen before. It, it yeah. was completely unique. It was it was like I mean, they put the sound effects. They put the thwips text you know and they did the sound effects and, and all like that it was just it was a comic book come to life um yeah completely unique yeah th- that was i mean th- to me one of the biggest things like this is a comic book like when you watched it this was supposed to be like it came right off the page um and uh, and the funny thing you say that like there was an interview with with Lord Miller where they said uh, that Doctor Strange was in the first draft of the script. Like the movie ended with Doctor Strange like trying to break stuff down and help help explain to Miles how everything worked. Uh, um, couldn't use that because of Marvel or what. Uh, but Doctor Strange was supposed to be in the movie, so it's funny you you brought that up. Uh, I, I assume you're talking about the big climactic scene when they were in the right and all that stuff. Uh, I thought it was really brilliant. It seemed to me the base of what they were doing is and I don't know the right word for this but comics have always had kind of that dot matrix you know what I'm talking about like the little like mm-hmm. little dots to you know do the colorization or whatever yeah the halftone yeah, pattern yep and that was just the base like everything had a layer of that over and when I saw it the first time some of the footage at Comic-Con it felt uh it felt a little fuzzy I was like this almost feels like a 3D that's not quite 3D but then as I watched it this time, they use that to focus your attention. So one of the shots I really noticed it is uh, when he's in his dad's cop car at the beginning and they're going around a corner and they see a TV talking about Peter Parker or talking about Spider-Man. The TV's in focus and everything else is just slightly blurry. And so they're just, they're drawing your eyes. They're trying to tell you where to go. Like it's a storytelling device. And I just thought so much of that stuff was really well done. It was brilliant. And at all times, it kind of gave homage to what's going on in comic books and what we love about comic books. And the fact that it almost gave like a Deadpool fourth wall kind of humor that like Miles could do something and there would be text on the screen that would kind of mock what had happened. Um, It just conceptually, they put so much into creating this universe. I mean... I, I criticize Sony all the time. It would have been so easy for them to just slap out a crummy CGI cartoon. And the fact that they put the work in to create an entire visual storytelling like language was very impressive to me. Yeah, I mean, the, the inner monologue, you know, that's, we all know that's so important to, to Spider-Man. And um, 
the way they utilized it in the movie um was just it was fascinating like when he first gets his powers and he's walking around the school and he's you know why why can i hear myself so loud and like the words are coming up in boxes behind him like that was so unique and that's something we've never seen in a movie before it, it really is a comic book and um you know it, you bring up deadpool and I, I went and saw it last night with a friend who is not a not a big comic book person he likes the movies uh and but he's not you know super nerd not really connected with this with our world and uh when he was watching he leaned over he's like this reminds me so much like this is so deadpool in how they're attacking this humor it's very you know like self-deprecating and very you know aware of itself and i was like yeah like deadpool and spider-man like that's what they did uh but it was really cool to hear somebody else kind of recognize that in the movie i think it would be um easy for us to kind of forget because of all the amazing things that they've done in this outside of the characters that for a lot of people this is finally the fruition of seeing miles morales on the big screen and kind of coming into his own um, I don't know how much experience you guys have with the Miles comics or, or how much you you know have read or enjoyed them. How did you feel they did in being true to a uh, to to that character as they bring him on screen? I think brought Miles to life. I mean, perfectly because I, I would have said like, oh man, I want Miles in live action. Like, I don't want him. I don't want to waste him in an animated movie. You know, I want to see him in real life. But they didn't waste him at all. Like this, everyone's gonna know and love Miles Morales after this because it was so accurate and it was so so true to who he is you know his parents were spot on his relationship with his uncle was so good and he's really that epitome of anyone can be spider-man that was the point of the whole movie and it was centered around that and you know like there's a a scene in the very beginning when he's like walking down the street in brooklyn and like dapping people up and you know singing through his headphones and like speaking spanish to some people and like it was so authentic to you know that afro-latina culture and and you know he he really has his puerto rican roots and him and his mom's relationship is so unique and he's he's really got that you know that african-american side in him as well and he's really like how he deals with his dad and and how he you know sees people day-to-day on the street like it was so authentic to new york and um they they did it perfect like I, i could they could not have done miles better in my opinion. I agree. I, I'm not a huge Miles reader anyways, but I do hear there's a fresh new Morales run starting up. That I it is. It's out. just started this week and it is so good. I heard. It's uh, it's Saladin Ahmed mm-hmm. uh, who, who did Black Bolt, which was incredible. And Exiles has been a ton of fun. Um, right. And he just started Miles this week. And he actually also just announced yesterday that he's doing uh, Kamala Khan. Right. He's doing the magnificent Miss Marvel. Um, which is very uh, good timing of him with Miles because they've been really kind of developing a really a really unique relationship in Champions. Right. So I'm kind of excited to see what he's going to do with those two at the same time. Uh, G Willow Wilson did an incredible job mm-hmm. with Miss Marvel. I'm kind of disappointed to see her go, but um, Saladin is a really really unique voice right now, and he really like I think the movie did. He really listens to young people to like he he asks young people on Twitter like I I want to be authentic to this character how do you talk? What music do you listen to? Like he'll ask questions to younger people on Twitter. He's like, Hey, answer this for me. Scott, I want to know what, how you react to it. Um, and he wants to be authentic and it shows in his comics. You know, when you read the first issue of miles, it's very much a, a set up and a little bit of a world build. Um, but it's all in his, you know, he, he already is Spider-Man, but he, you kind of get to see how he thinks and how he, how he moves and talks and, 
it's it's very true to what I believe a, a teenager today is. Um, unlike a lot of comics, we not teenagers at all. Um, this is very true to that. I think the movie was very true to that as well. Yeah, I was surprised by the Marvel news, Miss Marvel news, just because that's the first time that her book's ever been written by someone else, which is kind of a weird and cool thing. Yeah. You know, rarely do you get someone do a five-year run on a character and originate it. So it'll be interesting to see someone else on it. Mm-hmm. But Wilson's on Wonder Woman now, right? I, I believe so. She's she's on a big uh, she's on a big character now. Um, I'll Google it real quick. I, I think it is Wonder Woman. So, I mean, I, I totally understand the situation. Plus, she she wrote a really nice uh, letter she pushed out on Twitter too about moving on from the character. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, there's there's few runs that are actually comparable. Maybe like Dan Slott's Amazing Spider Man. Well, I mean, ben, Bendis on Miles. This is the first right. time, like with Saladin. That's crazy. He's getting two of these. Like, this is the first solo Miles book not written by Brian Michael Bendis. Um, right. Adam, did so you see Bendis in the cell phone? Really I did not. No. Yeah. Uh, Bendis and Pacelli were in the cell phone. Nice. And Steve Ditko. I saw that one too. In Miles' phone, he has all these creators on his contact list. Oh yeah, I didn't see that. Yeah, he's calling his dad. Above it was was. Bendis and this Pacelli. They're uh, they're getting their Easter eggs worth. I mean, they were both in uh, Homecoming too. There were so many Easter eggs in Spider Verse. Like it was. I mean, I, we all assumed there would be, but it was insane. Yeah. You can watch that a million times and, and never find everything. One of the things that I didn't realize, I feel like, until I was in the theater yesterday, which I should have, but I'm just dumb. You know, we talked a lot about Black Panther and how significant it was for particularly an African-American audience to kind of the representation of a character that looks like them on screen. I'm in this showing and I went like three o'clock in, on the afternoon on Friday, so it wasn't real full theater. But I watched, I got there early, every family that came in generally, I mean, I was pretty much the only white guy in the theater. And I think I had not realized, but should have, that you know, like Black Panther, this movie I think is going to have some significance to a certain fan base. I think that um, I could, you, I just saw lots of dads walking in, you know, African American guys with his kids, like this is a black Spider Man that is on screen, and I think we've gotten so used to it now, and we're so used to Miles. I think I missed how truly important that would be culturally to some people. And I think this movie did a really good job of representing his cultural background, as you guys talked about, without, you know, it's not, I don't think it's in your face. I'm sure there'll be idiots on Twitter. They'll be like, oh, this movie's all identity politics. I'm an idiot. But, you know, like, I think that it really is important and powerful and good. And I just, I was really excited, like, watching the kids around me for them to, like, light up to see a Miles be a Spider-Man. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I was reading. Um, there was a collection of, of Afro Latino reviews about this movie. Um, and people have, from those mixed backgrounds were watching this from that lens, and and it's so different from what we can, from how we view it. Um, and there was two real things that like stood out. One of them was that you know Peter Parker was designed to be like to show people that anyone can wear the mask, but for however many years it's just been this white kid. Um, and this movie really shows you that anyone can be spider-man because look at all of the a pig can be spider-man you know a, a, 
an African-American Puerto Rican kid from Brooklyn can be Spider-Man. You know, a guy from the forties can be Spider-Man. Anyone can be Spider-Man. Um, it's all about, you know, the mask and, and, and just stepping up to the plate and taking a leap of faith. Um, and the other thing that was so important to people that I didn't realize until reading these reviews was the portrayal of Miles's parents. And here's a character who comes from a Latino background and an African-American background. And his parents are loving and supportive and have like solid careers and, you know, are there for him when he needs it. And like, there's so much portrayal in pop culture of, you know, the, of, of a different kind of family for Latinos and, and for the African-American community, like it's never portrayed as like, Hey, here's just this family that works and functions day to day. Like everybody else does. And that's so important to show that side. Uh, we haven't really talked too much about the plot. Um, how did you guys, I mean, did you guys generally enjoy the story? I mean, I, I think it was pretty simple and it was meant to be simple. I mean, it was a kid's movie, uh, but you know, it was, it was sufficient for me. And there was a surprise or two that really took me off guard and so I was impressed. I feel like they overshared with this movie because they're Sony and they always overshare. But I was still really happy that there was one or two moments. I was like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I, I feel like I know one of the things you're talking about, at least. Um, and I did not see that coming either um, with the the scientist reveal. Um, and we're going full spoilers, the, so feel really free to talk about it. Yeah. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. Like the Doc Ock thing. I did not. I didn't see that coming at all. Um, and that was a really fun twist on it. And. I thought the story was was wild. Like how I guess I have it described to people, it was like Iron Man and Infinity War combined, in that like it was such a solid, well told origin story that that made you enjoy a character. But at the same time, it was this massive team up that brought all of these different characters and realities together. And the fact that they were able to do that in one cohesive story and like not get lost in the shuffle at any point is is remarkable. Right. I mean, it's typical Kingpin, you know, the, the incredible length that character would go, you know, to see his, his wife and son again. I mean, once I knew that Doc Ock was voiced by Catherine Hahn, it was, I mean, the character looked exactly like her. It, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, it's not really plot related, but I absolutely love the, the character design behind Kingpin. Ali kind of did like a reverse Modoc type thing. Um, and then they've largely scaled away from doing, portraying him that large um, in the comics as a recent. That kind of gave me Frank Miller vibes. Where mm-hmm. He's just this huge, huge, huge man with a tiny head. Well, and, and something I didn't notice till the second time, uh, knowing who Doc Ock was. Um, when when you watch her when she's just a scientist before she has her big reveal her glasses the rims are octagons um and i you know i didn't pick up on that the first time because i had i in no way thought she was going to be doc ock but when you watch it each each uh rim on her glasses has eight sides who's the uh who's the guy that was hunting the guardians easter eggs maybe we should sick him on this movie so i don't have to keep (laughs) going to the movie theater and trying to pick up on all these little details Oh, I mean, the AMC A-list, like, I got an AMC downtown, I'm going to go as many times as I can. Like, I, I, I will watch this movie multiple times in theaters. It's right. it's such a good time. Yeah, that, the reveal of Doc Ock was, it was so brilliant to me. I mean, so I saw at New York Comic Con, they showed us the first, like, 30 minutes. So the, the plant of her, like, where they show the video of her in the classroom, I saw that. 
and I never thought anything of it. I just thought it was like random exposition science lady. And, and then when she reveals herself to be Doc Ock and the, 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 uh, you know, um, tubby Peter Parker says something along the lines of like, Oh, well I should, you know, like he acknowledges that like, it was kind of sexist that he didn't consider that she could be Dr. Octopus. The audience is thinking the exact same thing. Like in this movie where we're talking about how anybody can be Spider-Man, we're all just like, no, Dr. Octopus is a guy. Or the fact that she was a female scientist just kind of made it so she seemed innocuous. And like, it's confronting right. my own like prejudice, like in the middle of the movie in a humorous way, you know, like I just thought it was yeah. brilliant the way they put that together. Yeah, it was in that it was in that scene where he's breaking down with Peter with the plan. He's like, step one, I'm going to do this and break into the scientist. Step two, I'm going to find the scientist. And there's this guy typing away. And then she walks in the background. Miles like, actually, the scientist is the lady with the bike. He's like, cool. I'm going to re-examine myself bias and uh, <laughs> right. I'm going to follow her. And like, so, oh, this is like, that was one of the better jokes I thought in the movie. All right. Um, I think this is, I mean, that's all the major points that kind of I have. Um, I guess I should point out, uh, well, before we do anything else, did you guys have anything else you wanted to say kind of about review? And then we'll talk about just for a minute, this, the future that's set up for it. I did. All I can say is that like, I'm so excited for the future. Like, there's so much potential in this to like, this is already in my mind. Like this is the second best cinematic universe that we have in existence. And it's only one movie in um, like, I will watch anything from this now. And there's so much opportunity. I mean, like we saw spider hand. I mean, think about like, you know, like the cartoon network shows where they were like, here's a half hour episode, but there's two 15 minute segments in either thing at their little standalone stories, like Steven universe and like Powderpuff girls. And like spider ham is perfect for that. You know, little 10 minute stories, with Spider-Ham doing ridiculous Spider-Hammy things, you know, there's a whole world of anime ready for Spider-Man with Penny Parker. You know, that that could be an anime tomorrow and everyone would watch it. And we're already getting two new sequels, one about Miles and one about Gwen. And like, there's so many opportunities and I would watch every single one of them. I can't wait to see how this grows in the future because they planted so many great seeds for what can happen. Yeah. For our listeners who maybe didn't see the news, Sony has already said that they're going to do a, a follow-up to this movie that's going to focus on the Miles and Gwen relationship. Um, obviously, the post credit scene, again, spoilers, uh, Spider-Man 2099 shows up and uh, animated Spider-Man 1967 shows up. Um, so that there's, there's things that way. There's also supposed to be a Spider-Woman movie or Spider-Women movie on the way uh, with Jessica Drew and Gwen Stacy and um, Silk. Uh, announced as kind of the main characters in that. Uh, also in all of that, Amy Pascal said she would cry if the Marvel relationship with Sony ended. To which we all said, Amy, the best thing you've ever said in an interview. We are actually completely <laughs> with you this time. <laughs> well, the other thing that, that she snuck in that interview, we were talking about the, the Vanity Fair interview from Friday. Um the the best thing she's aside from obviously we want Marvel to continue because that's the best news we could ever hope for. But she also was very adamant that the Drew Goddard Sinister Six movie is far from dead. And like I love <sighs> Drew Goddard and I love how he balances characters. I mean, Cabin in the Woods and Bad Times of the El Royale, he's so good at balancing characters. I know that we would shrug and groan about a Sinister Six movie like five years ago from Drew Goddard, but now after what he's accomplished since then and after what Sony has like proven they can do. It's like, okay, I'm, I will love to watch this just if anything, just to see what Drew Goddard does with superheroes. Cause I don't think we're going to get to see his X-Force. Um, 
you know, and if this can be his X-Force, then uh, I'm definitely all in for that. Well, the big coup to me, too, I'm not sure if this is possible, but if they could get Marvel to cooperate and do this on their MCU side so that that Sinister Six is Gyllenhaal as Mysterio and the Vulture that we've gotten and the Scorpion that we've gotten, I mean, that would be unbelievable if it could Mm. actually be in the Marvel continuity, too. I haven't heard that it would be, but I don't think it should be impossible. I mean, if that script is going to use some of those characters and Feige would play along, I think that would be really interesting. And that that would be a really like that. That's what brings us kind of the whole thing in full circle with the Fox situation. Like Goddard's supposed to make this movie X Force, and if the Disney acquisition goes through and they're like, we're not gonna do the X Force right now because we're gonna redo the Marvel characters. This would be kind of a play nice way to say, okay, Sony Drew Goddard. We're going to make this in our universe and we're going to be okay with it. Or Drew Goddard, but not let him do the X-Force. Do Sinister Six. Like, do this movie. Um, I don't know if that would happen, but I can see a scenario where it's like, we understand you kind of got shafted in this and that we didn't intend that for you. So there's a great way to make that up to you and to actually have a movie that, that matters for us and that works in our situation. Um I do kind of think though there's going to be an element of Sinister, Sinister Six in Far From Home, um, not with the specific right. characters, but all, all the elementals and stuff. Like it's going to draw on that. Here's Mysterio leading this different group of six villains and stuff. Whatever. I think that's going to kind of take on Sinister Six vibes. Um, and if they don't do it with Goddard, I don't really see them doing a full Sinister Six in the MCU. But uh, I, I would very much like to see it happen. Were there any other Spider-Man characters that you guys wanted to see in this movie that you were, uh, you were, you thought you might see and then didn't, uh, didn't get a chance to, to see happen? We never. I mean, what one of the flashbacks showed Uncle Ben, or was Uncle Ben mm-hmm. entirely absent? No, the the original, the one with original Peter Parker, the Chris, uh, Chris Pine. Pine's, uh, yeah. He did, I didn't think his role was going to be that big. Me neither. But Chris Pine was a fantastic Peter Parker. Right. right so he did it really well. Um, yeah. And had a lot of the McGuire beats to it, which was really cool. Um, yeah. I suppose I wasn't, rec- you know, hoping for any characters. I am surprised the uh, depth they went to redesign some of these characters. Mm-hmm. Like Green Goblin and Scorpion. And Prowler looked, he almost looked like a mix of a purple Deadpool with the uh I'm probably gonna get hate mail for this. The who's the the Wraith looking guy from Lord of the Rings? I don't remember his name. I think it was just a Wraith. The guy that's flying the dragon. That guy. Yeah. That's who Prowler looked like. Um oh, yeah. Yeah. it was crazy. Um and his music too like he had a very specific like tone sound that hit every time it was that weird like instrumental thing that every time you saw him, this loud, terrifying sound came on and like kicked into music. The music for this movie is going to get vastly overlooked because of how many great things are in this movie. But the music is fantastic from the score to the soundtrack. Like I hate, I hate post Malone so much. <laughs> right. I, uh, but I, I love this song and I've listened to it so many times. Are you talking about sunflower? Yes. I can't stop listening to it. I can't either. And when it because it came out before the movie, like two weeks before, and so it came out before I saw it. And I listened to it once. I was like, "This is stupid. I hate it." And then I watched the movie, and I was like, "Wait, what was that song?" And I realized it was Sunflower. I was like, "I can't." I've listened to it every day since then. Like, I can't 
not listen to it. Exactly. It's I, so uh, good. I saw the news and saw Post Malone. I'm like, I'm not even going to bother listening to it. And then I left the theater and I'm like, what the hell was that song he kept singing? So I searched it up and I'm like, all right, I'll listen to it. I, yeah, I haven't stopped. Well, and, and what I like, you know, to defend my hate for Post Malone, most of the song is, there's more Sway Lee than there is Post Malone in the right. song. So I'll, uh, I kind of defend it that way. Like, oh, okay. Like, it's only a little, it's like featuring Post Malone. <laughs> right. You know, um, but it's it's so catchy. And then, like, Miles doing the singing where he's not really singing. He just knows a couple of the words. Like, that was so real, you know, because we've all done that. And, uh, oh, and, oh, man. <laughs> I had I a roommate it. in college that loved Michael Jackson, but he would do that. He'd put the headphones on, and all we'd hear is like, chica, ah, ah, <laughs> like that. We would just do that all day, and we'd be like, "Dude, at least play the song," you know. <laughs> well, and I loved that it mattered in the movie. It wasn't just like, "Here's this like song that we made," because there's so there's always like, "Here's a song that it's in the movie and it's original, so buy it." And that's it. But this one like had an actual role in the movie, you know, like mm. he established at the beginning that he loved this song and it put him in his own and he was drawing and everything. And then when they're in the lab and it's like, Hey, ha- what do you do to make yourself calm down? And you know, he's like hanging on the ceiling and he's like, and it like, he gets into his zone with the song and then he puts it on again at the end. And it's like, it's part of the fabric of miles. So you really appreciate that. And when you listen to the whole soundtrack, it it all feels that way and it feels very like okay they they went to great lengths and they really tried to um find music that a 15 year old kid from brooklyn would be listening to it's not like stuff that we would want to listen to necessarily but the artists are ones that teenagers are super into and a lot of that like quote like mumble rap you know a lot of those guys are in there a lot of autotune and stuff but it all works really really well um right it's almost as good as the spider-man 2 soundtrack uh with train and uh, <laughs> oh, what's the other one? Um, there's another big name in that, but trains that vindicated song that played at the credits of Spider-Man two. And it was so 2003. It was the, it was the most extra early two thousands ever. I oh thought, man. I thought for a second there, you were going to say it's almost as good as that. Uh, knock, knock, let the devil in song from Venom. <laughs> Venom, Venom. Like this is the only time I've watched a Spider-Man movie and been like, "This is as good as Spider-Man 2. and that never happens. Um, this this movie is. I've been doing a lot of the ranking stuff because of I'm in the Music City Film Critics Association and I've been like keeping a running list. We're about to do uh, nominations for the awards uh, next week, and so I've been like trying to like binge movies basically. But uh, this is number two on the year for me, Spider-Verse. Like it, of all the movies I've seen this year, Spider-Verse ranks second. Uh, only to blind spotting, which I think is a phenomenal movie. Um, but Spider Verse is is something special. It's not just like here's an animated superhero movie. Like it's the best superhero movie of 2018. It's the best animated movie of 2018. It's it's one of the best movies period of the year, which I never ever expected from this. Just to circle back, you had asked about characters. I'm a big Scarlet Spider fan because I started listening to comics, you know, in that 90s Clone Saga. So I'd be real into it, but I get where cloning would have been too much to add on top of multiverse. So, well, I've got a whole, uh, I've got a whole canon in my head where I'm going to, I'm going to get in the ear of the cloak and dagger producers and I'm going to introduce uh, Ben Riley on cloak and dagger. So I'll let you know how that goes. 
that's my uh, that's my grand that's my grandmaster plan is to have uh, Ben Riley because he's the perfect fit on Cloak and Dagger because um, he's this whole outcast uh, kind of teetering on the edge of collapse character that I think is perfect for that tone. So I that's that's where we're going to see Scarlet Spider is on Cloak and Dagger and it's going to be because of me. So everyone's you're welcome. <laughs> um, that's that's the goal. Because uh, I love Scarlet Spider so much, I'm, I'm with you. That I think Ben Riley is awesome, and his suit design is like the greatest Spider-Man suit ever. That stupid cutoff hoodie, I love it so much. It's the only one I ever use on Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. There are all these DLC suits. It's like these are cool, yeah. but I mean, I'm not changing out of the Scarlet Spider costume. So exactly, I don't know why you're even bothering. You've created exactly. Leave right. it. This has been a crazy year for Spider-Man. It has like the game, this movie. He, you know, with his role in Infinity War and some great, great Spider-Man comics, um, especially with the new Miles Morales book. Like, this has been a a big, big year for Spider-Man, and I think that it's it finally feels like right now with the release of this movie that Spider-Man is that top Marvel character again. Like, for a long time, Spider-Man was the the, the premier character in Marvel. And then with Tobey Maguire and those, like he took off again, but kind of the last few years with the, with the, you know, emergence of the MCU and Captain America and Iron Man, like Spider-Man kind of fell by the wayside. I feel like in pop culture and in the world outside of like nerds and comic book people. Um, but it really feels like now after homecoming last year, and then this, like in the game, Spider-Man is really becoming that premier Marvel person again like spider-man is is the entity that everyone's gonna start associating with again until uh kevin feige brings wolverine back and then everyone will be uh all of them <laughs> no oh god no let him let him die <laughs> all right do do what marvel comics can't and just leave him alone <laughs> right charlie i want to thank you for being on the show i really appreciate your time and uh the review and um yeah it was a great movie and it's been fun talking and thanks for being with us Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I was, I was glad to be here. All right. Let's go ahead and hit the mailbag. Uh, we had a few uh, different avenues that people talked to us this week. Uh, thanks for sending in your stuff. You can send it via the website, Twitter, all that kind of stuff, YouTube. Uh, on the website, Dave uh, said that he thinks there's not going to be too much of a time jump between uh, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. Uh, he also had an interesting theory that the way they're going to resolve uh, the Thanos issue is they're going to stick Thanos into a barf simulation of him on the farm and just trick him into thinking the universe continues to stay the way he snapped it. And he'll never come after them to stop it because he'll think that he's in his utopia, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, also, Love Waffle uh, brought up the theory that some people have had that uh, Ant-Man is the key to all this stuff and that Doctor Strange, the reason the uh, version of events that Doctor Strange said would be the only one that worked is this one, is because Scott happens to be in the quantum realm uh, during the snap on this one. Uh, Love Waffle also talked a little bit about the Captain Marvel um, marketing. He also hasn't loved it, uh, in part because he says that the uh, the mystery of Captain Marvel seems obvious, like, they keep like, oh, what's going on with Carol? What is her past? And when we watch the trailer, we're like, oh, she got brainwashed by the Kree because the Kree are evil. You know, like, that doesn't seem like a surprise twist uh, to us. 
and so that's probably some of the issues. Uh, Love Waffle also mentioned that our year-end review, we didn't mention the bad stuff, which would be the James Gunn debacle and the Netflix cancellations. Uh, we had a very similar comment on YouTube from a new YouTube commenter, Sweetie Petey. Uh, she had a lot of great thoughts, uh, but basically just said there's been too much drama in the MCU this year uh, with the James Gunn stuff and the Netflix cancellations. That's the kind of drama that she expects out of DC with the Ben Affleck, Willy Wony continue kind of stuff. And it's uh, it's been kind of frustrating to see Marvel get stuck in some of those controversies. Uh, indie film production also was talking about the Captain Marvel marketing. And his concern is that they just haven't explained enough for the non-initiated. And so, like, us comic people know who the Kree are, and we know who the Skrulls are, and we know the Kree-Skrull war, and there's a lot of stuff it alludes to that excites us. But there's not nearly enough for a non-comic reader to make heads or tails of why are there green people, why are there blue people, who's the good guys, who's the bad guys, and so that just makes it hard to um, engage in. Uh, John Lothar is a, uh, a Lothar. I wonder if that's because he loathes everything. Uh, anyways, he had a few comments on YouTube. Um, he felt like we should be more positive about the trailers and that we were complaining about one thing, but we complain about something else. Uh, also, Adam, he believed it was ludicrous that you thought Ant-Man was uh, at the door in the past because uh, clearly he's at the, the, the door in the future. Do you know he's what not. totally... That's the thing. And you, you even said you agreed you, with the guy. What? Uh, it says archive. When you look at the footage, I said of that Ant-Man, last week. Archives in the bottom. Well, in the top left corner, it says archive. I said that on the podcast, and they still commented that stuff. That's why I'm like, what? What do you mean ridiculous? There, so they blanked out. There's something else in in the footage. It says there's something. Then there's a blank. Then there's archive, and it doesn't look right. It's there's something they blanked out, and it's probably the year. Um, you look at it and it was, it, there was it, beforehand, it was a Stark storage facility upstate, the, the front gate, it doesn't look like it's some crazy security type thing that the Avengers would have. The, the road is like gravelly and stuff. It's, it's in the past, dude. It's not ridiculous. And it, it's, don't say Black Widow said the stuff she did if she didn't say it. I mean, the the trailer's live, and I said exactly what Black Widow said. Play it back. I mean, you just got to play it back. I've heard a lot of people have this discussion, just like we had last week on other podcasts that we did not listen to. So this conversation's going around. And the thing that I think is really helpful to remember is also that they cut these trailers interestingly. Like, remember last time uh, for Infinity War, Tony Stark goes... What's his name again? And then it cuts to Gamora going, Thanos, he wants to destroy half the universe. Obviously, those are two different conversations they cut together for a trailer. It is very possible that that scene of Cap looking and goes, when's this from? And she goes, it's from outside. It's possible that they're not even watching the Scott Lang footage. Like that could be from an entirely different part of the movie. And they're just cutting it together to like, deceive us they've gotten to the point where they right like flat out lie to us in these trailers and create like new scenes and so i don't feel like we know anything from this trailer still so uh the only other thing from the mailbag uh alvin was talking to us a little bit and he was sad that we didn't mention agents of shield on our year-end review last year 
I kind of explained to him, I only did things that premiered in 2018 and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. premiered in 2017. Uh, the first few episodes were in December. But I probably should reevaluate that because there were parts of Runaway Season 1 and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, season 5 that definitely were more in this year than last year. And so we probably should have talked about that. That makes sense. The funnier thing was uh, we didn't mention Venom last week. And as of yet, there's not been a single commenter on any form of media that has reminded us Venom came out this year either. So, oops, we missed it. It's getting a sequel, though, confirmed this week. We also haven't built up that diehard Venom fan base, you know. And if they were a diehard Venom, they probably left a while ago because we just keep mocking it. Yeah, I totally forgot that. We didn't cover that in the news. Wait, Adam, did it seriously get a sequel and we didn't cover that in the news? Yeah. We we suck. Oh, just that it's officially in production. We knew that, right? Or whatever, I think, right? I don't know. Who cares? It's not like we're going to watch it. <laughs> yes, but yes, Venom 2's <laughs> I don't know definitely either. happening. I think the screenwriter said at a convention or whatever, he's writing the script now. So there you go. There's your Venom news right at the end of the episode. Not surprising at all. Thanks, China. It's not even going to make the timestamps either, so you guys probably won't even hear it. All right. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. You can interact with us a lot of ways. You can send us messages on Twitter at Marvel News Desk. Also communicate with our MarvelNewsDesk.com post each week on the website. Uh, if you want to support the show, send a dollar a month over to patreon.com slash marvelnewsdesk. That gets you access to a lot of stuff, including our annual holiday episode, which we'll be hitting here in the next couple of weeks. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash marvelnewsdesk and subscribe at YouTube channel, which is watch.marvelnewsdesk.com. Uh, you can help us be more visible to others if you want to give us a five-star review on iTunes, but the best thing you can do is listen to the show and tell your friends. We really appreciate that. Thanks to Tim Cox for our logo. You can find him on Instagram at Tim V. Cox. And thanks to Alvin for the theme music. You can find his music on a variety of social media platforms at The Skull School. Uh, guys, that does it for our year, I guess. Thanks for another great year of podcasting. And I know we'll talk outside of this context. But while all the listeners are listening, I just want to say I really appreciate the work that you guys put in. And I love working on this team, and I'm excited about another year next year of some more Marvel movies and TV shows, huh? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Yeah, Happy yeah. New Year. Make sure you don't go yeah, to wh- us. Whatever you're doing. Happy Solstice. I was going to say, make sure not to go to Starbucks and buy their anti-Christmas cups. Is that a controversy this year again? I haven't even paid attention. I don't know. I'm sure it's a thing. You know, it's the internet. I'm sure somebody's mad about something somewhere. So whatever that is, we hold no opinion on it because, you know, we just like to be nice people. You guys have a great uh, time with your families and the time that you get off over the next few weeks. Uh, Like I said, go to the the Patreon and the YouTube if you want some more content from us. But till then, we will be back in January. Uh, Have a good break. We'll see you later, guys. Bye. Yeah, Caleb, we can't hear you at all.